Sheena, what would you say is your competitive edge? I would honestly say that this podcast and the conversations and dialogues with execs is one of my competitive edges. I feel like access, whether that's to people or information, is a huge competitive edge, especially today in the digital world. That's exactly why we decided to launch The Edge, which is a new thought leadership newsletter penned by our very own president and COO, Kelly Breslin Wright. It's fantastic. It's this sneak peek into the inner thinking and the experiences of a highly successful female executive who has been there, done that as a board member, as a president of a hypergrowth company, as a sales leader. So being able to see her thought processes, you really get to tap into something that you wouldn't have known otherwise. It's really a written extension of what we talk about here, how to scale your business, how to be a better leader, how to adapt to the different trends that are coming. So every month she drops a new addition. It's always less than five minutes. And you know, you know that there's data in that because that's what we do. We love data. So how do we sign up, Jeff? All you have to do is jump down to the show notes and you're going to see a link. Hit the link, put in your email address, and that's it. That's it. That's all you have to do. Easy peasy. All right. That was fun. This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast. Here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing. Stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your potential, then this show is for you. I'm Sheena Badani. And I'm Devin Reed, coming to you from the Gong Studios. What's the best way to lead sales transformation? A winning culture, great talent, maybe a visionary product, all great things, but none of them are the correct answer according to our guest from this episode. Andrew Kreezus is the GM of SMB at Nielsen IQ, which means he's just as data obsessed as we are here at Gong. So how does he drive sales transformation? Aligned teams. In this episode, Andrew shares his experience and insights on how to align your teams so they're marching towards one singular goal. I asked him a few questions about which KPIs teams need in order to align, and his answers were much better and way more thorough than I expected, and my expectations were pretty high from a guy who works at Nielsen. You'll walk away from this one with not only the why behind getting aligned, but also the how. Let's go hang out with Andrew. Andrew, thanks for hanging out with me. Awesome, Devin. Thanks for having me. And so today we're going to cover alignment, specifically how to align teams to supercharge revenue. And so I know the word alignment isn't the most emotionally pulling one or not necessarily the most exciting, but if you've ever worked at a company or a team that's really misaligned, then you get some emotional pull because it's not fun. So that's what we're going to focus on today because you've led sales transformation for years now and you oversee sales, marketing, product. It's a big question I'm going to ask because it's a big job. But like, how do you ensure all those teams are in sync? It's probably the hardest question, right? It's extremely tough to do. And like you said, if you've had experience, which pretty much everyone has seen a team misaligned. And so, you know, by no means are we perfect in any way. The way that we've, I think, been most effective, and this is all, I would say, in the last two years, again, like you mentioned, I spent a lot of time in sales operations, sales enablement, sales transformation for five years, and then got deep into this sales and GM role. I'd say first and foremost, where I've seen things go the wrong direction is just the basics of starting with goals and objectives. It sounds obvious, sounds super easy, and everyone's like, oh yeah, everyone's got goals, everyone's got objectives. 
But the reality is not everyone's reviewing each other's objectives and looking cross-functionally. So for me, it's not just coming up with your own function of sales or marketing. Everyone has objectives. Great. You've documented it and maybe you have an HR system. Maybe you don't. But it's sharing and aligning goals across those key pillars and spending the time to make sure that if sales has a revenue target or a pipeline or opportunity target or win rate target, it's aligned to a marketing target that is also realistic and likewise is connected to a product and product has objectives on product releases, timelines, and those are linked to revenue goals. And so those things actually need to talk to each other. Again, super simple, super obvious, but it just doesn't get done a lot because I think there's just so much going on in an organization. You don't spend enough time working across outside of like your main view. The second thing that's worked really well for us, and because we've probably done it the wrong way before too, is getting the cadences and rhythms stood up to be like hyper real time. And I mean, you have live chats that are focused on alignment or focused on the customer. And so whether that's Slack or Teams group that you're creating, we've got multiple chat flows that are cross-functional to address live questions, issues, whatever it is. And then we've moved all of our cadences to be weekly and fully end-to-end cross-functional. So as a GM now, I run my meetings with all functions. So it's everything from marketing, sales, product, support, customer success. And so the idea is we are fully end-to-end and we kind of run it like a scrum team. So it's a pretty senior leadership team. And we'll have a couple topics go around the room, but then it's quickly, what are your key updates? Everyone's on the same page and having that live status, which we kind of stole that concept of like that scrum meeting from my experience in the product days, product and tech worked that way, but the rest of the company didn't work that way. And so that's helped to definitely keep us in tune every week. And then we've done a couple other fun things around like win rooms and loss rooms. So I'm sure people have win rooms. That's pretty common from a sales strategy or rev strategy standpoint. But the one that I love the most, actually, and I tell this every week to the team, is the loss meeting. And we actually celebrate our sales losses, which is super weird to do. Like, when you think about it, you're like, why am I celebrating losing a deal? But there is so much you can learn, and we do it cross-functionally. So we pull product into the call. Like, why are we losing deals, regardless if it's product-related or not? And so the idea of, like, you're all in it together on key meetings. You can't be in every meeting together, right? But you pick strategic ones, and that's where, like, you learn the most. So I was in sales for like six-ish years before I moved into marketing and I quickly realized, you know, we've all experienced it. And I mean, it's been even probably blown out of proportion, like the sales and marketing alignment, like maybe it was fun marketing somewhere for people to like make them clash, you know, more than they maybe really do. But what I learned when I got to the marketing side was, yeah, well, sales is revenue, obviously, you know, no doubt. And a lot of the misalignment or the friction comes from marketing either not being aligned to sales or, you know, to revenue or when there's like other goals, other things that are not immediate revenue focused, sales doesn't know what those goals are. So they see active marketing in the field and they're like, why are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. And to your point, it's because they don't know the why behind it. There's a good reason. They just don't know what it is. Totally spot on. Yeah, we've seen that go the wrong way plenty of times. And I think there's an element there of like, to a degree, taking your ego out of it, right? Because everyone's got this perspective of what they're doing is super critical. And it's kind of taking a step back. And one of the things that we ground ourselves on that's worked in the last couple of years is grounding yourself just around that customer focus, that customer feedback, that customer loop is the center point and everything else hangs off that. That kind of has helped us refocus and resync whenever we got like disjointed. Let's flip the question to disjointed, right? So, I mean, you've got a lot of experience and maybe there's still things that happen today, but why would you say most orgs struggle with alignment? Like, is it just the lack of the things we talked about? Are there other maybe a little bit more granular things that, you know, maybe like little hurdles along the process? I'm curious, like what prevents this from happening? 
Yeah. I mean, it's clearly really hard to do right. And obviously there's a people dynamic to it as well, right? There's a human element to alignment that you have to manage closely. And it's on a person by person basis. One thing I'll say though, that I've seen drive a lot of misalignment aside from objectives. And that's kind of the first and foremost. The second one is just the speed and the ability to move fast enough and keep pace with the market. And what I've seen is, you know, sales is moving like a mile a minute, right? They're constantly calling on clients, dealing with challenges of competition. They're moving really quickly. And so sometimes the rest of the organization isn't moving at the same pace. So the velocity of the different teams just isn't connected. And so you've got maybe marketing that's working on longer term, top of funnel engagement, that's multi-month, multi-quarter strategy. Sales maybe is doing something hyper-focused in the week, in the month. And then you've got product who could be working on things that are year long or whatever it might be. I think those timelines just immediately are in conflict. Without a doubt, that's going to create tension and stress and frustration. And then what kind of starts to happen where org struggle is just the communication. Like if you don't have that center point around the client or you don't have that weekly scrum meeting that's fully end to end, that's pulling everyone together or win rooms and loss rooms where everyone feels like connected around winning or why did we lose? that communication falls apart completely and you start to blame one another. And it's so easy to, you're sitting in sales, you can blame marketing for not having enough leads or whatever it is, you're not getting the product out there. You can blame product for not delivering the product. You could blame sales for not closing deals. There's so much that you can all play that game. And that's where to me, it's like you take that ego out from a culture standpoint, from a sales culture, which is something we focus on a ton through training and repetition. And then you start to have some empathy across the functions as well as understanding of what they're doing, right? And I think that's where you start to get away from the blame game. It just becomes, all right, how do we succeed? Let's all get on the same side. If you can rally around just wanting to win and not focusing internally winning battles, but like winning externally, then that's when your organization is going to start to move. Some of the most enlightening things are kind of obvious, at least maybe in hindsight. But one of the things I've noticed across all departments I've worked for is you can get a really good barometer for the culture based on if the conversations people are having is focusing on how to win, how to improve versus blaming, complaining, talking about all the stuff that's broken and just doing the like cycle of venting. So I have to imagine you have some sort of process or framework for driving alignment, but I'd be kind of curious, maybe it's part of these meetings, maybe it's just kind of your philosophy, Andrew, but like, how do you approach driving alignment? Maybe there's some key elements worth sharing. There's probably three buckets. I mentioned the first one goals. The second I think through is always cadences and rhythms. And the third would be around product roadmap. So what we focus on or what I've kind of put together is alignment early on in the year around goals and objectives, and then quarterly re-engagement on those goals and objectives. And so that's a quarterly cadence. And then we do monthly operating plan reviews that are just true deep dives. And it's not because like corporate set a, you have to do X, Y, and Z, right? It's really, let's build an operating plan as if we were our own company. And I think if you take that mentality with your team, whether you're influencing a team as a rev ops leader, or you're a sales manager or a sales executive, and you take that focus of, if we are a standalone startup, how would we do this? How do we stay in sync? You can get away with not being in sync in a large company. I think that's part of the problem. So having that operating cadence, going deep end to end and spending the hours to go truly end to end through the business, I think keeps you connected. And so we've got a quarterly high level, monthly deep dive. And then we've got all the weekly rhythms that I mentioned, the weekly scrum meetings that are end to end, you know, not just product and tech. And then the other thing I would hit on from a process standpoint is you've got that whole product roadmap, key part of most SaaS companies or anything that is being built. And so having the cadence there of how 
both market feedback gets presented into product and product roadmap and releases come out either monthly or every two weeks and that gets fed back into the organization. Like that process is super critical to get right. So for us, we've created rhythms where we're, again, cross-functional teams come together. We've got cadences around what we call market feedback bi-weekly. That feedback's coming in like very strategically. And then we have live feedback sessions. So things like Slack or chats or teams that are giving kind of real-time feedback along with NPS. So that's creating your cadence of inflow. And then we've got the outflow of releases and updates that happen every month within our company. So I think having those cadences, having that product roadmap, and then all that tying into marketing, right? So on those roadmap sessions, on the feedback sessions, marketing is in all of those. And so then they're keying that up to their overall calendar and strategy of different campaigns. And so if you've got that, I kind of think of it as like a flywheel. You've got those three components, marketing, sales, and product working in sync, and that starts to spin at the right speed. Some incredible things can happen in the marketplace. Andrew just finished saying that alignment drives incredible things in the marketplace. So you know we've got to back that up with some data. According to MarTech Alliance, organizations with aligned teams are 67% more effective at closing deals and 58% better at retaining customers. Not only that, but they report that highly aligned teams drive over 200% more revenue. I'm going to say that again. 200%. And when you're driving more revenue, you're creating a healthier, more stable marketplace. All right. Now we know that live feedback leads to better alignment, which leads to more revenue. Let's get back to Andrew as he breaks down how that real-time feedback actually happens. Sales moves fastest, marketing moves kind of fast, and then product moves pretty slow. And all love to product people who are listening, just at least in you know, relative terms. Are those processes of visibility and those cadences, is that how you sync in those three different speeds of teams that need to work together? Yeah, I think it's like bringing a common denominator together, right, where you can engage. And what we've been able to find is the history of product being really slow by having that live engagement instead of being something that they got maybe input once a month or deep dives every quarter to like real time, then product actually sped up. And like now product is almost at pace or even moving faster than sales. And so we had times within our company with the Nielsen IQ advisor, this platform that we built and one of the platforms that I lead that was moving faster than sales. So it was interesting, like the velocity rates, if you get it working, we were pumping out product and marketing content faster than sales could learn about it and keep pace. And so we had to pare down. So you think about those throttles and when people get rallied and motivated, that's when it becomes a game changer. So Andrew, as you probably noticed in my interview style, I like to ask how to do things, why we should do them, and then give me an example of you not doing that at all, which is usually, you know, teeing up how you learned it in the first place. Because to your point, the show is just like you. You know, we like to celebrate not losses, but learnings. So I'm curious, tell me about a time where project expectations didn't go as planned, or maybe how alignment didn't quite work and how you adjusted. We've had plenty of failures, plenty of big bloopers. In my past role, I was a product officer for an incubator within Nielsen IQ called Bizer. And it was a company that we stood up and then we pulled it back into the core company. And it's one of the products that my team now sells in the US. So we had created this platform called Bizer. It was a product that provides data and analytics for small and emerging CPG companies. Really intuitive, incredible capability. It had a cool website. We built kind of the first ever like data and analytics shop, like a mini Amazon, right? You can go in swipe a credit card and immediately get access to data about your products and competitive products and help tell your story to investors and tell your story to retailers. So cool stuff. And we're like, all right, this is awesome. We built this, the go to markets there. We know the total addressable market. 
We've got the sales process ready to go. We've got the marketing content. And so we just thought as soon as we do like some blast emails, we're like, we're just going to blast this out. We're going to get thousands of responses. The shop is just going to be self-serve and everyone's just going to start buying. And bam, we went to launch day and like a week or two later, we're like, this is not happening. <laughs> we thought like, you know, we'll send out 30,000 emails, do a bunch of typical campaign work, advertising, it's just going to happen. And it was like, nope, we had some inflow, but nowhere near what we expected. And so that was a huge wake up call of like, this isn't working. And so then all of those processes that I mentioned had to get enacted those cadences of like, all right, we got to fix something because we got to get real time. It's not going to solve itself. And so what we ended up doing was one, we needed to get more attention. We needed to get the marketing and sales engine working and connected to product. Was it a product issue? Was it getting the voice out there? It was a little bit of everything is what we found out. And so what we ended up doing was creating more data-driven and personalized marketing engagement and sales engagement. So the generic blast of like, hey, have you heard of data and you need data and insights to run your company? That wasn't doing anything. But when we were able to communicate and engage with companies that we could provide specific information about their company, about the challenges they were going through and use what we called our Nielsen IQ brand score, which was a concept of like, let's create the equivalent of like a credit score, right? Like everyone knows their credit score. If you're red, green, yellow, it's at 850 points. We wanted something like so simple because all the data and analytics that Nielsen provides was actually kind of complex and confusing for these small brands. And we're like, we're not cutting through. So we worked with product to create this concept of Nielsen IQ brand score, simplifies everything, gives you a grade and score, allows you to benchmark, all that kind of stuff. So we use that in those email cadences, in the sales engagement, in the prospecting. And so by having almost like an automated but personalized set of content, that got like a 30% increase in engagement rates and reply rates. And then we started to see the inflows of like, hey, this is really cool. Oh, I love what you've done with the platform and I love everything else, but you know, now you've got my attention. So it was turning that on, but it meant product had to be super in tune with, okay, how do we build out this brand score? What's the whole algorithm behind the scenes? How do we serve it up in the front end? Marketing's thinking about how do I start to advertise it? How do we create brand score awards so that people get awards and are excited and therefore want to engage with their product and don't feel like they're being sold to so hard? And so that wheel started to get in motion. That was the first time that I think we really felt, okay, we've got something pretty unique and it's getting some media attention and some great following. That's a great story. I love that. And I want to dig in a level deep if you'll take me there, Andrew, which is, so I love the aha moment, which is like, oh crap, this isn't working. Something's not right. That probably was dollar signs, I imagine. But to your point, I'm like, now that I know how you operate at a high level, I want to know the aha moment that got you to this brand score. Or like there had to have been a turning point where like, okay, this is what we're going to do. And the reason I'm so interested is if there's ever a great time to just start pointing fingers, it's like, hey, this really big thing didn't work. And it's not super obvious who it is, but it's definitely everybody else at the table and definitely not me. You know what I mean? Like that could be an easy reaction. So can you kind of take me through that a little bit? So I think where the aha moments started to come from was when we were launching and building the platform, we set up a group of trailblazers, early entry clients who had free access to the product while we were like in a beta phase. And so we got a lot of feedback that the platform was still too complex, that reports weren't easy, that it wasn't intuitive on how to use some of the analytics, whatever it was. And so that started us down this path of, we've got to make this tool way more proactive and simplified. There's tons of power behind the scenes, but that became the like, this isn't going to scale because in our marketplace, what we're really trying to build for was the 30 or 50,000 brands out there that are small compared to the giants of the world that are doing billions in sales. And so we realized, all right, 
people don't have analysts, like they don't have data scientists who can do all this hard work. And a lot of us on the team were kind of that like analytical background. And so we just assumed it was easy. And so what we started doing is saying like, all right, your wife or your mom has to be able to run a report or test this and use it. And so two things came out of it. Like the aha was, this isn't simple. We got that feedback from clients, like very straight up. I think that's the other key thing is we weren't shying away from it. And I've seen platforms, it's happened in Nielsen IQ, it's happened in any company that they're so stuck in their way and proud of what they do that they'll ignore that interaction or that client feedback. So when we got that, we really took it hard, right? Because you feel bad, like you're bummed about it. And so we ended up going down two paths. One was to step up this concept of alerts, which was like, hey, just notify me of insights and then I will use your platform. Proactively send me insights. And the second one was, hey, we've got this really powerful grading and scoring and analytics behind the scenes, but that is way too much. It's going over people's heads. We need something really simple on the surface, like grades, everyone knows ABCD, like everyone knows red, yellow, green. That's what I need to visualize. And so it was that client feedback of those, I think we had like nine Trailblazer clients that was pretty consistent on, hey, there's cool things over here, but it's not doing enough for us proactively or it's not simple enough. And then that just forced us to like really challenge ourselves. How do we simplify this? Like, how do we make an easy button? We want this to be the easy button. It made me think of like, if someone lovingly bought me a Ferrari right now, I would be like, yeah, Andrew, thank you so much. There's so much power under there. I don't drive a stick. I have no idea how I'm trying to get to the grocery store. Help me bridge like me wanting this car and being able to use it. Totally. Yeah. In the world of CPG, which consumer packaged goods that I play in, retail information, online data, it is, it's a Ferrari, right? There's so much data that small companies typically never had data, but then when they did, they were drowning in it. So it's like, how do you simplify it down so that you can behind the scenes or under the cover, have a Ferrari, but feel like you're driving a bike. That's a great way to put it. And so how does the customer voice play a role? I think we kind of just uncovered it, right? It's like the undeniable truth, which is as much as product sales, marketing, support, all those things we think and we want are all good. But at the end of the day, it's what the customer says because it's who we need to please. Are there any other ways or examples maybe that you all lean on voice of the customer to drive decisions or maybe validate others? Yeah, I'll give a little background story. So when I was in the revenue and sales operations and sales enablement role, I introduced NPS to the company, which was to focus on this voice of customer because we didn't have anything standardized globally. We're in about you know 100 markets and we didn't have a standard system. Got super passionate about it, did a ton of research to try to help drive and transform the organization. And there were pockets of huge success and pockets of not. What I found out was similar to what I was mentioning, it's, it's just so easy to ignore it because you can get so internally focused, even though if you have these cadences or have these platforms to give feedback, if it's not built into your internal processes of how you create, create new products, create new sales material, create new marketing content, then fundamentally like that voice of the customer isn't gonna do anything even if you're collecting it. So obviously step one is you gotta have those mechanisms, you gotta have MPS scores, you got whatever customer satisfaction you're doing or assessments. For us, it was a combination of having real-time feedback in our product so we didn't want our voice of customer to be something that we send once every six months or once a year. We wanted it to be live in the platform that would pop up, right, and give you real-time engagement. And that was a constant feedback loop to sales, marketing, and product. And then the second thing was we took it to heart. Every single time there was essentially a detractor, right, within the MPS, it was, okay, I want to know exactly why. Let's have a follow-up call or follow-up you know, message let's get to the details, let's get to the root cause. And it was that level of, we all want this to be successful. We're not gonna hide from it, even if it's pointing at you and like you did the wrong thing or it was your job or whatever it was, 
like as long as you could find out, that was awesome. And as long as that center point led me to like, okay, I now have a piece of intelligence I can use to improve or better beat the competition, I'm going to go put it into place. So I think it's that role of voice of customer has to be the center point that ties every function and process together. If you don't have that, it's like the center KPI, right? Like everything else is going to hang off that and build your processes around how fast you're iterating around the product, how fast you're changing your messaging within marketing, how quickly maybe you're changing your sales tactics. I'm going to round third. We're going to go home here. Gong and Nielsen IQ, clearly data obsessed companies. And so I'm curious if there's any other KPIs. You mentioned NPS. Are there any other KPIs or metrics that you're looking at to ensure that your teams are aligned? So there's a ton of metrics and I'm sure you guys are the same. I mean, first and foremost, right? It's one, can you get your hands on all the data and is it clean? And that was something that was always really challenging for me when I was in a sales ops and rev ops type role was getting the right data and getting clean data to the business, to the GMs, to the market leaders to run the company. So that's a massive undertaking to get it right. I'm still not perfect. But once you have that, all the classic KPIs plus a lot more, I think, come into fruition. One is around the product KPIs, and it's really important that sales and marketing see those KPIs. So for us on our platform, think of it as like reports and alerts, but think of it as like usage rates over different modules within our product. So the number of usage across different products helps prioritize what aspects of the product are working, what reports or alerts are working, or which one should we remove? What kind of packaging and pricing could it command in the marketplace? So those in-product app metrics need to be shared with marketing and sales because that is how you tweak the model and make sure that your pricing and packaging are working relative to the usage as well as the success rates like the voice of customer as well as your win rates so the product metrics super important nps gets included in that usage rates then we think about like the websites click-through rates where they're moving through progression rates where they're dropping out that gets shared back with product because product actually integrates with our website and so they're working together on how do you improve that entire flow from, hey, I'm an early funnel lead all the way to, hey, did I sign up and did I start using my product? Then the other thing that we do is we break everything down into FTE rates. So we look at sales per FTE, dollars per FTE, monthly recurring revenue, incremental monthly recurring revenue, variances versus prior month. We look at all those variances and monthly metrics to see, are we pacing the right direction? Is our NPS pacing that same direction as the sales metrics? Are marketing leads pacing that same direction? And so by having like a total scorecard view, and it's actually the first couple pages of our operating plan review is a combination of sales, product, and marketing metrics. And if you stack those all together, you get a really good sense about where you're going, right? And so when you're looking at sales metrics, like average TCV size, or you're looking at number of clients, number of logos, average win rate, and then you're looking at also NPS scores, you're looking at usage rates of your product, you're looking at marketing leads, you start to get the full picture of like, okay, is this engine I'm building healthy? Is it growing? Do I need to add more gas to it? Is it a lead generation issue? Is it a sales conversion issue? Is it a product usage issue? Is it a support issue? So all of that kind of factors in. And if you have that data, which I know, fingers crossed, not everyone does, and you can centralize it, then you can really start to look at your business, support your leaders and say, okay, this is what we need to do to improve. Here's our bottleneck or here's something we need to invest in to improve upon. And then you're set up for better success to compete. If I'm being completely honest, Andrew, you more than exceeded my hope for that question. I got the exact answer and beyond that I, that I was hoping for, asking someone from Nielsen IQ. But when you have all that data in front of you, when you have that level of visibility, there was a lot of questions you just mentioned that you can answer really quickly. It makes, obviously, decision-making easier, faster, and more effective. 
Well, all good things must come to an end, Andrew, but I hope we do cross paths again sooner than later. I just want to thank you really for hanging out on the show, sharing your expertise, some great examples and tons of takeaways for our listeners. So thanks for hanging out with us. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Devin. If you want to learn more about how revenue intelligence can help you achieve your goals, head over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard today, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Well, my friends, all good things must come to an end. But luckily, the podcast is still going, but with some new hosts. Yours truly, Devin Reed, is moving on from Gong. And this will be my final podcast that I'm hosting. Now, it has been a phenomenal and truly remarkable five-year run at Gong, and I couldn't be happier. I've been able to contribute on the revenue side as a sales rep and on the marketing side as a content leader. And I can honestly say it's been some of the best years of my entire career. So while I'll be moving on, again, the podcast will be continuing, and I encourage you to keep listening. And we're very grateful whether you've been with us for years or a couple of days and you just found us. There's some great conversations right around the corner and some fantastic new hosts to keep you engaged and to keep you at the top of your revenue game. So if you want, feel free to keep in touch over LinkedIn. That's where I'm pretty active. And again, thanks for listening.